Well, good evening. You're back for round two. We are going to have another message about trials. I want to talk to you guys um, a little bit about a message that I put together. And so can we open up in prayer and we'll just jump right into it here. Time, uh, we're grateful, God, that uh, you are doing mighty things among us. And we are grateful, God, that trials in our lives, God, are a positive thing. God, they're not a negative thing. You use them to redeem us, God, refine us, and grow us, God. We're excited about that. God, thanks for our good church. Thanks for thing like, things like Camp Blast working among our kids and kids that visit our church. God, we love you, and we are grateful for this good night. I pray you bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God's word calls us into challenging situations that test our faith. We've all been here. And last week we learned that we live by faith because God is worthy of our trust. Tonight God's word is calling us into another challenge that will test our faith in God. God's word tells us that being Christian means we will endure trials of various kinds. God's word is going to tell us that our trials will impact our patience. In other words, we endure trials and sometimes we can become impatient. So here are some famous people that give us their take on being patient. Margaret Thatcher, the former Prime Minister of the UK. I'm extraordinarily patient, provided I get my own way in the end. Philip Brooks, a Boston pastor, was asked one day for the reason for his agitation. The trouble is that I'm always in a hurry, but God is not. From an anonymous. Oh, Lord, please give me the patience I need and do hurry up about it. And a little poem, patience is a virtue, possess it if you can, found seldom in a woman and never in a man. So are you good at being patient in the midst of trials? You're waiting for your employer to respond to your application when money is tight. You're in a disagreement with a family member or a friend. You're waiting for that someone special in your life to marry. Are you patient with these trials? You're in the midst of a conversation with someone, and they say something that upsets you. Are you patient within this trial? The context of our text tonight is one that will become extremely applicable for all of us, I believe. The author is writing to a group of Christians under significant persecution for being Christian. And their situation then manifests itself into a whole slew of trials in their lives. You see, the letter was written to Christian Jews, and Jews in general were hated by most everybody in the first century. The nations that surrounded them hated them for being Jewish. Within the Jewish sect, then we have this group that has become Christian. This group was hated even more. They were hated by the Jews for being Jewish, the non-Jews for being Jewish, and then they were hated by the Jews for being Christians, and they were hated by the non-Jews for being Christian Jews. So they were pretty hated. They were hated by everybody. Tonight we'll see the Bible encourage Christians to respond to the trials of life in a positive way. Our text says, don't view our trials in a negative way. They're positives. The author's going to say, that through the trials, through these positive trials, that's how we should recognize them. Excuse me. We should recognize our trials as positive because God is at work. God is redeeming us in the midst of the trial. We are to live by faith in the midst of our trials because God is worthy of our trust. When a trial hits, we are to treat them as a positive thing, not a negative thing. So what does the text mean by responding positively to trials what does it look like to respond positively to a trial that comes about in our life what does it look like when we respond to trials in a positive way the answer the bible tells us that we should consider our trials as a calm delight we are to consider our trials as a calm delight a friend of mine recently said to me after i gave him this encouragement 
he expressed his trial in his life, and I used this particular text that we're going to talk about tonight, and I said, brother, you should, you should consider this trial a calm delight, because he was clearly impatient about the particular trial he was dealing with. His response to me was that, yes, it is the calm before the storm. And I said, no, 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 you're missing the point. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the calm before the storm. I'm talking about how we're supposed to be responding to the trial. So the Bible teaches us that our trials are to be treated in such manner, a calm delight. As believers in Christ, we go through our trials before what's called in the Latin corum deo, which means before the face of God. We're not outside the face of God. We're not outside the presence of God when we go through these trials. We're in the presence of God. We're before the face of God when we go through our trials. We're sitting before the redemptive mercies of God as we go through whatever trial we're going through. So considering our trials as a calm delight shows us and God that we live by faith and we trust God in his redemptive outcome. We trust him. We trust him for what he's doing. When we get impatient, we are displaying our sinful ignorance. It's the beauty of a trial. We are displaying our frustration with God's control of the world, ultimately. We are telling God, you don't know what you're doing. I'm one of your children. I'm going through a difficult time here, God. Fix it. Our lack of patience in the midst of a trial is a sign that we do not like the way God is controlling the situation. Just like Jonah last week. I don't like what you're doing, God. I don't like how you're handling it, God. I want you to change it now, God. And if you don't, I'm going to get impatient about it. The Bible is clear that these trials will continue in a sinful world. We as Christians are clearly not immune to the trials of life as we can all attest. The bad part about hand, not handling our trials as a calm delight is that we can often, this can often have an adverse impact on our life with God. We can become impatient with the situation, and impatience for us should be a sign that we are not responding to God well, that we're responding with a spirit of rebelliousness against God. Impatience is a red flag should be a red flag, I should say, that our faith in God's redemptive purposes is weak. So contrary to our sometimes sinful response of impatience when we hit a trial, our text tonight is going to tell us the same thing David tells us. We should count our trials as a calm delight, a good thing, because they produce patience in us. In Psalm 40, verse 1, he states this, David states, he waited patiently for the Lord in the midst of his trial. Waiting patiently. It's a crazy statement to think that we're going to wait patiently in the midst of the trial. If we're anything like David, we've allowed a particular trial to bring us down in the mud. David states, God drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, or literally the thick mud in Psalm 40 verse 2. And like David, we can decline in the midst of our trial. We can become impatient, which leads us to become frustrated, discouraged, and angry. When this happens, the Bible says that we are not considering our trial as a calm delight. Our problems are heavy, though. They're big. They seem overwhelming. And in fact, the Bible illustrates trials like a boat suddenly running aground. Acts 27, 41 states it this way. Describing what a trial would be like in the, in the Bible. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The trial, were the bow, the trial is just beating on us like the waves coming in over and over and over again. And the trial wears us down. Wears us down, continually wears us down, and it wears on our patience. Our impatience can then, unfortunately, lead to a whole slew of other sinful behavior. So, for example, have you ever been in a situation where a trial is kind of beating you down for whatever reason, it's happening, and then you come into another context, and because you're beaten down, your impatience is short, you then take out your problem on somebody else that has nothing to do with the problem. 
That's an example, effectively, of how impatience can kind of snowball into another sinful response. We become impatient, we come home, we see the wife, we see the husband, we see our friend, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, and we take it out on them instead of dealing with the patient or the, the trial correctly. Impatience should be a red flag that we are losing sight of God's redemptive work in the midst of these problems. God is working in and through our trials. And when we respond to our trials as a calm delight, we increase in patience. So tonight we will see that responding to our trials as a calm delight produces patience. So would you turn with me to James 1? James is in the New Testament towards the end, just after Hebrews. So you'll hit Hebrews and then James. time finding it. There we go. So James 1. This is going to be our main passage tonight. We're going to read James 1 verses 2 to 4. This is the reading of the Word of God. So listen now to God's inerrant, life-giving Word. Verses 2 to 4, chapter 1 of James. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces patience or steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing some translations will use steadfastness some will use patience some might use some other different word but they're all synonymous with the word patience so verse 2 reads we will encounter a variety of trials and we should consider these trials a calm delight we will encounter these trials in a variety of ways, the latter half of verse 2 states. They can be trials, they can be challenges, they can be tribulation, suffering, persecution. These trials are not just one type of trial. We know, through experience, the pains of life span a wide range and challenge us in a variety of ways. John Calvin notes this about this passage. Afflictions come in a variety of ways. Ambition, greed, envy, gluttony, excessive love of the world, and the innumerable lusts in which we abound. So where does it show up? Where do these trials pop into our life? The trials can be like a thief in the night. They just show up, don't they? I mean, you open up the door and you run right into them sometimes. You walk into the store, you run right into them. You walk into work, it doesn't matter where you go. Trials just suddenly pop up. Other trials have been going on and on and on, family problems, medical problems, whatever it may be. But in regards to the thief in the night, Luke 10.30 reads this way. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. This is kind of a description of trials in our life. They can just pop in, strip us of all these things, feeling like they leave us half dead. These trials could be an instant dilemma like a visit to the doctor with a pain in your stomach, a discussion with a friend that goes sideways, a loss of a job. These trials can be a variety of things. Impatience with the situation can grow. Impatience often leads to further negative responses. It is our response to the trial that God is asking us to adjust. These trials might be a slow process, like the frog in the boiling water, like a sickness or a medical problem that just will not go away. Impatience can grow and lead to frustration or maybe even feelings of quitting. It's no longer the medical problem that's the problem that we're dealing with now. It's now snowballed. Impatience becomes a battle against our sinful response that the sky is falling because of our particular situation. It's our response to the trial that God is asking us to adjust. These trials may be something that continues to show up over and over and over again in our lives. Your children continue to disobey, hurt, or just overwhelm you in some particular way. Your family or friends hurt you over and over again. You seem to be alone. Friends drop in and out of your life, and you're just kind of tired of it. 
Dealing with the problem is now only part of our problem. We can become impatient, which leads to frustration, anxiety, being overwhelmed, and it's our response that God is asking us to adjust. Maybe like our Christian brothers and sisters that James writes here, you are dealing with the consequences of sharing your faith in some capacity. Maybe it's not standing on the street corner evangelizing. Maybe it's just you're standing up for something right because you're a believer. Maybe it's living out your faith and it puts you in some sort of vicarious position with others around you. Maybe someone around you is choosing to do something unethical and you say, I'd like to abstain from that kind of behavior. And because of your abstaining from that behavior, you receive backstabbing, ridicule, slander, who knows what. And this is the same point that Peter makes. Peter makes this claim concerning the trials incurred by being a Christian. Turn with me to 1 Peter, which is just to the right a couple of pages. 1 Peter chapter 4. The topic of this particular section of Scripture is referring to the fact that we are going to receive some sort of suffering for being a believer. But note how positive Peter speaks of this, going through something as difficult as these folks were. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory, of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator who is doing good. Clearly, Peter is talking about trials and sufferings that come with being a believer, specifically your faith and the testimony of that faith. But the context clearly indicates as well that he puts it in a very positive sense. So in this scenario, we can become, however, when we're in the midst of a situation and we're standing up for what we believe is right, we're sharing the gospel because we know that's what we're supposed to do and we're trying to honor God with that, we can become impatient. And what I mean by this is that I've been in situations where I have done things similar to what we've just been reading. I'm sure you have as well. And ultimately, it backfires on me in the sense that the person that I'm doing with or the people that I'm doing it around don't receive it in a positive way. They actually receive it in a negative way and take offense to what I'm doing. And my response can be one of two things. I can either do, handle the response, their response towards me well or not well. And I've done both. So this can grow into speaking sinfully against these people or person because they are persecuting me or you. You can start talking about that person with others. Starts off so innocently. You share how they treated you so improperly. You begin to share your story with truth, but not grace. It's our response to the trial that God is asking us to adjust. How then are we supposed to respond to the trials of life? What is our response supposed to be so the flesh does not take over? How are we supposed to respond to the trials of life so we remain patient with God and people? How are we supposed to respond to the trials so that we don't spiral downward into further sin when that trial hits? We are to consider Life's trials as a calm delight. This is what the latter half of verse 2 in James 1 says. We are to count it as a joy, he says. Literally, 
this text reads, we count it as a calm delight. The verbs in this particular text talk about what's called the present active verbs, means now and forever. Not just in the trial when you're being persecuted for your faith, not just when you've got a medical problem that's overwhelming, all trials now and forever. Whatever trial it is, now and forever, we are supposed to be responding as a calm delight. In regards to the joy, listen again to another author in the New Testament express how positively we are supposed to be responding. Paul writes in Romans 5, 3 to 5, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produces patience, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Another author telling us positive outlook on trials. We should be handling our trials as a calm delight all the time, this text says in James. Counting the trial as a calm delight is not primarily, it's important to hear this, it is not primarily synonymous with pleasure or happiness because the word joy can certainly indicate that. Though I will say it's certainly more pleasurable to be calm in the midst of your trial than impatience that can lead to a whole slew of other problems. The idea here is viewed very similarly to a woman bearing a child. And I say that in theory strongly for those that have born a child. If the delight that comes from the challenge of childbirth was not so wonderful, a woman would not do what they do. They certainly would not do it more than once. John 16, 21 reads, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow, pain, because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish or pain for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So I share with you a personal, sort of a personal experience, secondhand, about my mother-in-law, Kay Werhaas. Her pregnancy was one of the most outstanding pregnancies, two of them, that I've ever heard. And that capture is captured in that John 16, 20 passage. Kay, upon being getting pregnant with John Mark, their oldest son, walked out of the, finding out that she was pregnant, walked out of the doctor's office, didn't get one step outside the door and throws up right into the bushes right outside the door. For nine months, the woman threw up every single day. And to top it all off, she's giving birth now to John Mark nine months later, throwing up on the table while she's giving birth. Okay, well, that doesn't stop there. And of course, I'm, she's telling me this story, and my first response, my initial response was, why on earth, woman, would you have ever had a second child to even take the chance, you know? I mean, and I was like, well, of course, and the next logical question was, how'd the pregnancy with Cassie go? And she says, well, I walked into the doctor's office, found out I knew something felt kind of funny, you know, walked in the doctor's office just a long time ago, she found out she was pregnant, took one step out of the doctor's office and threw up in the bushes again. And for nine months more, she threw up and on the delivery table threw up again. But when she speaks of her children and the birth of her children, it is clearly a calm delight. It is a, she counts it as a joy. A joy. And I know the mothers here that have birth children, my guess is they would probably put it in that same kind of context. Hopefully you did not have nine months of misery like that. <laughs> Counting it all joy. It's not a recipe, though, for happiness. James is not asking Christians to be constantly smiling in the midst of their trial. Though, again, handling our trials with patience will be certainly something to smile about. Happiness is not the primary effect of treating our trials as a calm delight. 
happiness will be manifested from treating the trial as a condolite. It's a manifestation of it. It's not the primary result of it. Our text is not saying that happiness should be our response in the midst of trials. Because the obvious question comes from that, what about the trial of death? Somebody dies that's close to you. There's an appropriate amount of grieving that should happen when tragedy strikes. We see this clearly in the New Testament and in the Psalms. Grieving, however, is described very differently than impatience in the Bible. When we grieve, we are in a state of sadness for the loss of something. It would be very unusual for somebody to walk into a death kind of situation with a big smile on their face and be all giddy about it. Most people would find that a bit odd. So you need to interpret this text correctly or you just may walk into one of those situations with a big smile on your face. When my dad died a couple of years ago, I flew home from Oxford to see him. I got there one day before he passed away. He was in hospice at his home. And upon his passing, the contrast between me and the people in the room that were there when he died was striking. I was grieving because I understood the biblical understand, understanding of grieving, if you will, a theology of grieving. I got the concept of it. I was grieving the loss of my father while others were busy trying to avoid the problem that was literally laying in the room. He'd not been dead 10 minutes. And when I tell about the group, the group was my family. The group of people that were there were already planning the funeral and the, you know, the, where we were going to have the, the party afterwards or whatever, the dinner. They were already doing that. Now, you might think, that's extremely rude or just awful that they would do this. But look, when trials happen in most people's lives, they treat them negatively. And so therefore, when you treat your trial negatively, you can't embrace it. You want to get away from it. And that's why so often when you're dealing with a trial between two people or family, especially the elephant's sitting right over there in the room and nobody wants to talk about it. The trial's sitting right over there, but nobody wants to embrace the trial and they'll just avoid it like the plague. There was no grieving the loss of my father. There was only churning to something else. So they did not feel the pain of this loss. However, I embraced the pain. I embraced God in the pain to the best of my ability at that moment. I rejoiced that God had saved my father only two years before his 78th birthday. It was something to praise God for. It was a calm delight. Even though my dad was not a good dad my entire life, it was a calm grief. Because my calmness is in God. It's not in the man that died. It's not in my family. It's not in people's response. It's, it's in God. And that's why I was calm. Even the trial of death can be a calm delight. It can be a calm delight mixed with the appropriate amount of grief. Like my experience, we've all heard of Christians that lose someone and handle it in a way that is almost seemingly miraculous because they place that death or that loss in the hands of the almighty, all-powerful, all-sovereign God. The response should not be impatience that can lead to the condemning of God for taking someone. It can be grief with the calm delight of knowing that God is sovereign over all of creation. And that includes who and when we die. We can be patient if we are confident that God is in control of all things. We can respond to our trials as a calm delight knowing that God is in control. He will make the right decision at the right time. Here is where our patience should rest, in the sovereign work of God. Our impatience should be a red flag that we are not trusting God during a particular trial. And it's our response to the trial that God is asking us to adjust. It is how it is to be reckoned. It is how we should respond. 
the trial should be viewed as a calm delight. The question then becomes, why does God want us to consider our trials as a calm delight? Why does God's will in sacred scripture ask us to respond to our trials in such a way? Answer, if we consider the various trials that happen in our life as a calm delight, the result will be patience. Look at verse 3, chapter 1 of uh, James, please. For you know that the testing of your faith produces patience. Verse 3 states, the trials test our faith, just like Abraham last week. Our faith in God's control of things is being tested by our trials. The trial is a test. It is an assessment of our faith. How we respond is an indication of our faith. It is an indication of our patience with God who is in control of all things. In Abraham's case last week, I made the point to show pretty strongly, that Abraham must have been scared going through the test of his faith, the test to sacrifice his son, his only son. But I never said Abraham was impatient. I made it very, a very pointed point. Probably didn't sound very good. I made a very clear point that he, that he was scared. Fear is different than impatience, just like grief is different than impatience. There is no indication in the story of Abraham that he was impatient with the test. In fact, for chapter after chapter, as I tried to show you with Genesis 12 and 13, Abraham's first response to God calling him was obedience and worship. Here I am, God, immediately. There was no hesitation. There was no, oh gosh, here we go again. None of that. His response was immediate and clear. We can be fearful in something and still retain our patience in God's control of the situation. The reality is that our challenges that test our faith can be fearful, without question. We can sometimes only hang on by the skin of our teeth. But that does not mean that we should be impatient with the trial. They can sometimes be scary. We've all been there. But that does not mean we should grow impatient with the trial. We need to remember who is in control. Not us. God. Our impatience should be a red flag. That red flag should be waving that we think God is not dealing with the trial. When we become impatient, the red flag should be waving saying something's wrong here. God, I'm not sure, what you're, I'm not sure you know what you're doing, God. If I grow in my impatience with God and how he's dealing with the situation, that should be a red flag. And before I know it, I'm condemning God for not making it stop. Some of you may or may not know that I got sick in 2004, and that sickness still today continues. Last night, I still woke up because I have a disease that I got in 2004. At 2.30 in the morning, woke up. And for 18 months, I woke up at 2.30 in the morning and never went back to sleep. 18 months. Last night, I woke up at 2.30 in the morning thinking I wasn't going back to sleep. And the first thing I thought of was calm delight. Because right now, I want to throw whatever's in my hand right through the wall. Because I've got to teach tomorrow, God. Don't you know I'm teaching, God? Don't you know that? I've got to be energetic. I've got to be ready to go. But that wasn't, that's not the point. God's not... God's, not, God's saying to me, look, I've got a right timing for this. You just do what you're supposed to do. I'll do what I'm supposed to do. You just be the created and I'll be the creator, okay? Just remember our roles here. My impatience can lead to many other sinful response, responses when I lose sight of who is in control. God is saying here in James that our trials are testing our faith to produce patience. When we enter a trial, it's a test, and that test is a test of our patience. If we are not patient, we need to recognize that red flag. And that red flag is about our faith in God. If God is worthy of our trust, 
then we can respond to our trials as a calm delight, knowing that he will produce patience in us, because he is God. When we cannot look at our trials that way, when we don't look at our trials that way, it becomes something negative. We have the opportunity to bring glory to God because we are faithful to him in the midst of the trial. If the trial comes and we become impatient, the test proves that we are weak in this area. When we get impatient, we complain, we grumble, we allow our flesh to grip us in the midst of the trial, we are proving we are proving where our patience is, where our faith is. It's not in God when that happens. We are failing the test because we are ultimately complaining to, about what, how God's handling the situation. Listen to, the, listen to this short text in Exodus 16:8. And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, your grumbling is not against us, Moses speaking for him and Aaron, but against the Lord. Our grumbling is not going to be against the person we take it out on. Our grumbling isn't going to be against anybody but God and how God is handling the situation. In the midst of the trial, sometimes it is clearly hard to see the trees through the forest. We have a hard time seeing with clarity what God is doing in the midst of our trial because we do not see them as a positive thing. That is why it is often said that hindsight is twenty twenty. We often cannot see what God's redemptive purpose is when we are in the midst of our trial. But there is a redemptive purpose to all of this. It is not to make us fall or crumble like the ship that has run aground. It is to refine us. Peter describes it this way, if you understand the idea of refining of gold. Pretty confident with technology today, they don't do this, but you'll get the idea. Peter describes it this way, where the smelting process heats the gold and the dross floats to the surface and then they scoop it away, making the gold more valuable. We are the gold. And the trial is making the dross come to the top and God is scooping it away, making us more valuable. He is refining us, but we've got to see the trial as a positive thing. Turn with me to, turn with me to 1 Peter to the right again. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. Again, note the positive tone of the language. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The trial is allowing the dross to float to the surface. God scoops it away, and we are being refined by the Holy Spirit to make us more valuable. So what's the point of all this? What is the point that God has for us? What is God doing when he says we should handle our trials as a calm delight? What happens when we respond to these trials in such a positive way? If we respond to our trials as a calm delight, God promises us we will become patient. God is saying our trials test our faith, and if we respond to it correctly, we increase in our patience. Impatience is refined out. Impatience is refined in. The result will produce patience. James tells us the trials of life, life test our faith and when we respond to them as a calm delight, the Spirit of God will grow us in the Christian virtue of patience. The Bible describes the model Christian in three terms and you'll understand them clearly. Christian terms that are three main Christian virtues. Faith, hope, and love. Guess what word is synonymous with hope? Just take a guess. 
patience. Hope, steadfastness, patience, endurance, all synonymous with one another. These three words have a kinship all the way throughout Scripture. Multiple verses talk about this idea. James is not saying here that we will be blissful, happy, or giddy in the midst of our trial. James is saying if we respond well, we know the outcome. God's given us the answer to the test. Something I never had in high school. He's given us the answer. We've got it. It's not something he's withholding from us. But the frightening part for us often is that when we don't know the outcome, but God's not doing that here. He's giving us the outcome. We've got the answer. We do not, we do not know what to expect, and the unexpected sometimes can cause impatience in us. And what I'm trying to say here is that God has given us the answer. So remember that next time a trial hits, you've got the answer. It's not unexpected. There's not some unexpected thing here. When we moved here, our boys had to endure yet another, another school. We drug them to Colorado, then we drug them to Oxford, then we drug them to Olympia, then we came here. And so they had to go to a yet another school. We knew this was going to be difficult for them, so we contacted Fairmont Elementary before to see if we could come down and just walk around the school, kind of get our feel about it, meet the teachers, and so on. And we decided to do this because we, we, we knew that having an understanding of this for them would help them feel much more comfortable in the situation. They could enter into their new school, especially because we came in the middle of the school year, <clears throat> that they could enter their new surroundings with a sense of calmness. We can be confident in God's promise here. We can respond to the trial as a calm delight because we know the outcome. Our trials test our faith, and if we respond right, it will produce patience in us. Trials are not an opportunity to fall into impatience, which so often leads, as I've been saying, into further sinful responses. Trials are going to complete, I should say, they're going to produce a completeness or maturity in us that is defined as patience, hope, steadfastness, endurance, and ultimately producing a sanctified Christian when patience has its full effect. Look at James 1.4. I'm looking at 1 Peter. That wouldn't be good. James 1.4. And let patience have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials are an opportunity to grow in the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. That is, God allows the trial to continue to refine our faith and we will ultimately be living in the fruits of the Spirit, not the deeds of the flesh. Galatians 5 contrasts these two things. The deeds of the flesh are listed first. The fruits of the Spirit are listed right after it. And those deeds of the flesh are sexual impurity, idolatry, immorality, etc. Things that we are not supposed to be identified with. If we respond to the trial as a calm delight, we will grow in one of the most important Christian virtues there is, which is patience. Trials are a glorious testing. They're a testing process that allows the Spirit to sanctify us and sanctify those fleshly areas of our life. God promises us that when we consider this a process, when we consider this process a calm delight, His Spirit will refine, refine in us the very important Christian virtue of patience. Patience is the capacity to wait. And unlike the non-believer, the Christian is called to wait, excessively called to wait. Christians are called to a life of waiting. For example, God promises us future events, the second coming of Christ, for example. But we must wait for these to happen because God holds the key to the proper time and place. We must wait for them to be revealed. We must be patient because God knows the best time that they will be revealed. But sometimes we act like children. And if you have children or are around children, you will certainly resonate with this. When they want what they want, and they want it now. And if you're talking to somebody, they don't care. If you're eating dinner, they don't care. If you're in the bathroom, they don't care. They want what they want when they want it. 
The problem with our impatient response, though, is that there's a spirit of rebelliousness against our obedience to God and His control of the trial. Patience is crucial to our learning to be obedient to God's commands and His control of all things. So how do we learn patience? Have you ever thought when you see that in Scripture, how do you learn to be, how do you learn to be patient? Do we have to learn it by the school of hard knocks? Do we have to focus harder the next time we're in some kind of situation so we have more patience? I'll tell you the answer. Treat your trials as a calm delight. The cause is the trial that tests our faith, and if we respond to it as a calm delight, the effect, God says, will be patience. But it doesn't even stop. God doesn't just stop at patience. He just doesn't say, when you're, patience, when you're patient, I'm done with you. It's not the end goal. Spiritual maturity is the end goal. This maturity is the key to our spiritual adulthood. Impatience is a sign of immature faith. Patience leads to our spiritual maturity, says James says. Therefore, trials are important to the process of our spiritual maturity, specifically patience. You see, the untested Christian, and you'll notice this with a, with a young Christian, an untested Christian is an unstable Christian. Now, if you're new to your faith, it's okay to be unstable. You're new to your faith. You're in a learning curve here, and you've just started. But when you're around mature believers, they seem to be a bit more stable in their faith. Look at James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all, though, all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You see, the testing, the patience, and our response are all linked together here. Even not knowing the answer is part of the process. We know that we're supposed to be patient. That's the answer. But we might not necessarily have the answer to our particular trial, like when's your sickness going to end? I know the answer. The answer is that I'm supposed to be patient. I'm supposed to treat it as a calm delight. That's the answer. Not when it's going to be fixed or how it's going to be fixed. When we do not know why we are enduring a trial, which is so often the case, we should ask for wisdom. Look at verse 6. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. When I do not know why I'm going through this trial, ask for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. And wait by faith in God's redeeming of the situation. As we wait, we wait on God's perfect wisdom and answer. We are to treat the trial as a calm delight. But the waiting requires patience. If we respond to each trial as a calm delight, we will grow in our patience. So when the next trial hits, we have the patience needed to handle it as a calm delight. And then that snowball goes in a really positive way. When we are impatient, we are described as somebody in this text who has a double, is double-minded and is tossed to and fro by the sea. One minute we are patient, the next we are not. One minute we're faithful, the next minute we're not. One minute we're asking God, the next minute we're relying on our own assumptions or somebody else. What should I do here? I've got this situation. Tell me what to do. And then somebody else tells you something else and you go to that person and you're just flopping all over the place because you're just, you just want the trial to end. That's not patience. Our trials, it's important to hear this, our trials are a means of grace, of God's grace, not punishment or something that's happening by chance. We should consider it a joy. This is what James is getting at. We should consider it a joy that God has supplied the trial that is testing our faith. That, my friends, is tough to do. Because we know that if we respond to it as a calm delight, patience will be the result. 
And then we build patience upon patience upon patience so the next time we hit a trial, we will be patient. It is trusting God's plan of sanctification. It's trusting that God knows what is best, what will best refine us. Trials are a means of grace by which God is bringing forth the fruitfulness of patience in our lives. And if you're anything like me, you've allowed your trial to be more than just a trial. They can become an opportunity for a fleshly response. We can churn an opportunity into a decreasing, spiraling, downward response of sin. And I've allowed my trials in the past to do just this. Whether it's a lengthy trial that doesn't seem to end, or a person just jumps in front of you in the store, jumps ahead of you in the line at the store, our impatience with that indicates that I've not treated my previous trials as a calm delight. And to pile it on, my impatience can then lead to a whole slew of other sins. For our lives to be dominated by faith in God, we must rethink how we respond to trials in life. We must realize that patience is a key virtue of our faith in God's redemptive work. So, for us to become patient in the midst of various tri- the various trials of life, we must consider them a calm delight. Let me finish with a short poem. Be patient and wait on God's leisure. In patience with a heart content to take whatever thy father's pleasure and his discerning love has sent. Nor doubt that our inmost wants are known to him who chose us for his own. God knows what the best thing is for us. God is in control of all these things. And trials are a means of his grace to us. And we've got to look at them positively. We've got to look at them as a calm delight. Amen? Let me pray. God, we are grateful for your grace. Your grace is given to us in so many different ways. And it's so easy, God, for us to look at our trials from a negative perception because they're hard. God, it's okay. I know it's okay. Scripture tells us it's okay, God, to be fearful in the midst of some of these difficult trials. But God, I pray for the power for all of us here, Lord, tonight that love you and call on the name of Jesus as Savior, that you would supply, God, us with the power to handle our trials as a calm delight so that we can grow in our patience. We love you, God, and we are grateful. God, I pray that you would bless these people. I pray you'd bless our church as we move forward and we can be a community known to be patient. So God, help us. Help us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.